The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead dive. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead dive. everyone and welcome back to everybody's dead dave a red dwarf review podcast featuring me adam martin and me phil hawkins and first of all if you are joining us for the very first time hello welcome to the podcast and uh, if you are a returning uh, listener again welcome back and uh, but for those of you who are new the premise of this podcast is we are two sci-fi fans embarking on red dwarf now i am watching red dwarf for the very first time i know get all your gasps and shock horrors out the way um i have never seen red dwarf before this run through i'd heard a lot about it but never seen it but compared to phil what's what's your history phil i have been watching red dwarf for many decades (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> not quite since the beginning i'm not quite old enough for that but uh but since the sort of mid 90s so it's uh yeah i've, I've been watching it a while uh, and and i've uh, during that time i've done a couple of watch throughs up to to where it was at that point but this is the first one in about five years or five or six years so in many respects we're both rediscovering a lot of things we found over the first time but Yeah, and we have reached on our journey. We're on series two. We're on episode five, which is titled Queeg. Originally broadcast on BBC Two on the 4th of October, 1988, just because that's my my mathematical nerdy brain going there. Brief synopsis of this episode for you. When the ship's senile computer, Holly, allows a meteorite to damage the ship and Rimmer's hologram to malfunction, the crew lose faith in him. And Holly's backup computer, Queeg 500, takes command of Red Dwarf. That is your synopsis. So, going into episode five, Queeg. Then, um, well, it all it all seems to start off quite normal at first, doesn't it? For a Red Dwarf episode, as normal yeah, as it can be. Yeah, I I like the fact that uh, Liz is doing a, a a magazine personality quiz. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. I I have an affinity with that. I loved doing those. Not oh, necessarily really? the same type of ones he's doing here, <laughs> but just generally. I remember doing them in magazines and circling the answers and things. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I used to love doing them for like, if it was like character ones, like, you know, superhero comics, it'd be like, oh, which yeah. superhero are you? Basically, yeah. I, and they were styled like family trees and you like scroll down the yes or no answers. And yeah, they were good fun. They were. Um, and I, I want the first thing that I think really took my eye was the when the meteorite in question does hit there's a very odd slow-mo like you know the crash it's an odd slow-mo effect they use almost like very juddery frames at first i have to admit at first i thought that was my internet buffering and i went back and i was like oh no they just decided to do that you know weird slow-mo stuttery frame thing which i know was used a fair bit in you know at the time in the late 80s because the slow-mo I guess you see in things like The Matrix hadn't been developed yet. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just I, I, I feel half and half on that effect in general, not just to this episode. I, I'd, I'd never really like it. I don't like that whole juddery slow-mo Camera effect. Shake. So, yeah, <laughs> Camera shake I mean, and slow-mo. That's it. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it does look a bit dated now, I guess. I don't know how... I mean, it's hard to tell. I, I'm trying to think of what to compare it to that might have been of it of the same time i suppose something like star trek the next generation would have been around about the same time um mm. 
which obviously didn't do it as badly, but obviously had a much bigger budget. So true that American money, man. Sweet. Yeah, <laughs> but even they, they, they may not have. It may not. They may have done it slightly better, but they still basically shook the camera while the crew sort of fake wobbled around. Yeah, they still did that on Star Trek: The Next Generation. So, yeah, I, I think ten technological limitations of the time i think we yeah. can probably forgive them for it it doesn't look great but yeah i think that's part of the charm of red as we've said there are many elements of red dwarf both of the ship and the the events that are very well considered now retro and of its time like we said before the the copious use of crt tvs on this futuristic spaceship is incredible and triangle <laughs> cassette tapes and all that and i must admit uh, jumping ahead slightly by a scene but i'll come back but it's a theme throughout the whole thing when we see holly a lot through this episode he's on a moving like sort of television stand thing and that I was, I spent a lot of time looking at that TV. You know, it's got the little digital yeah. time code at the front. It's very, it's very 1980s, but I love it. I didn't, I, I wasn't it is. like, oh, it's not God, the first time we've seen him in, in on this TV either, is it? Cause they went down to the, they went down to a sort of moon surface to have a uh, Rimmer's Death Day yes. party in one episode yeah. that we've already watched, and he was on it there. It, yeah, it's just the the amusing thing. It it just, and I said this in the that episode that it just reminds me of. Uh, being in primary school and then wheeling around the school yes. television, this big CRT yeah. school television, to the classroom because you were watching a video that day. Yeah, it was all a very video exciting. cassette. Yeah, I, a VHS. Five consecutive weeks, what, getting through Ben-Hur at school, that was a chore. But... Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> well, they the couldn't two... show that all in one, could they? Because it's like four hours long. The two <laughs> like... things I remember, but it was always like, uh, you know, the the, the last week before christmas or something like that yeah. where they'd let us do fun stuff so they'd wheel in the tv and you'd get to watch a video and people would bring them in and i well i remember once we watched basil the great mouse detective and Ooh, another good time choice because they basically said okay you can bring all bring them in and then we'll choose from the vhs as you bring in and for mm. some reason i'm not sure why but 11 uh, i think i must have been 10 or 11 brought in a compilation of morecambe and wise Ooh, uh, yeah which uh, you know a bit odd okay. i'm not sure and i think we even watched it and i don't know <laughs> i can't remember if it was a voting system i don't know why we why the teacher thought okay let's I go mean, with this we one all, we all like a bit of more common wines don't we sure we all, yeah, yeah yeah i don't know how For a bunch it of 10 and 11 year olds though that's impressive yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no and I mean, throughout the whole ship's damaging, going back to that first scene, Holly gets, I mean, he's funny anyway, but he gets some great belters in this. Like, I think my favourite line in that first scene in particular was when, like, after the asteroids hit. I don't know, the damage report machine's been damaged. <laughs> Just because it's, it's such a silly line, but it fits that deadpan delivery so well. And, you know, it's such an absurd concept, like, oh, we have damage report machines, and guess what? They've been damaged as well. So yeah, it just really the, made me laugh. And the fact that he, he appears on the screen before the meteor hits, and he's like, yeah. oh, there was something I was going to tell you. I can't remember what it was. And then, <laughs> and then he hits, hits, and he was yeah. like, oh, yeah, there's a meteorite about yeah. to hit. What it's already hit. It was brilliant. And uh, just before it hits as well, Rimmer is um, playing chess. No, not chess. Checkers. Checkers. Checkers, Yeah. With uh, with one of the scutters. Um, And it's so epitomizes Rimmer's character because he he knows he's going to lose. 
And so he's just waiting on, he's just taking a deliberate, a long time to, to make his move because he yeah. knows the scutter is due on duty and therefore will have to forfeit the game to go on duty. And that's how he's going to win. Yeah. It's like the sly, underhanded was, nature of Rimmer. I was going to say, it's the slimiest aspect of Rimmer's character to win a game like that, you know? But it's he presents it in such a way where you still sort of love him for it. You know, you don't think, oh, you, you know, you horrible person. You're sort of like grinning, going, oh, yeah, you know, you slimy so-and-so. No, it's a great, it's a great epitome of his character. Uh, and speaking of Rimmer, when they go and investigate the damage, um, I was surprised that, you know, start the scene and we only see the top half of poor old Chris Barry. Yeah, and, because uh, it's, it's hit, the meteor has hit where the holographic computer is. Mm, and I must say again, for the late 80s, the fade effect I thought was pretty good. Yeah. Like, on, but, you know, his disappearing body parts and the whole legs coming back to sort of sync up. Like, you know, it's. I was like, yeah, they did that pretty well. It was pretty seamless. I didn't see like much fringing or anything that sort of gave it away. You know, by intensive purposes, I think they pulled off that effect quite well. Yeah, and the the, the whole scene with with the various errors that are going on with the holographic stuff. It doesn't last massively long, but it does lead to some great stuff with Chris Barry showing off his skills in impersonation and acting because he does oh he man. cycles through so many voices because initially he's he he ends up getting the personality of various other crew members somehow in mm. this in this mix-up and so initially he's one that we don't really know that the the ship's psychiatrist and which he does in an amusing i think scottish accent is it yeah yeah well you see the shuttle was late you see the shuttle was late, and they're usually so good, aren't they? They're so good, they're brilliant. Um, and then, then he starts impersonating and repeating back what Holly and Lister are saying. No panic, everyone. I've got it in hand. Just need to override the charge relays. Just need to override the charge relays. But how'd you do that, Hull? But how'd you do that, Hull? In their own accents. And he does a really good job, which is uh, that there are audiobooks of Red Dwarf based on the novels that got released and Chris Barry is the narrator and you can see okay. why because he can do a brilliant inter- interpretation and impersonation of of everyone really yeah they, they were so flawless like particularly his Lister one like li- like considering he's just repeating the exact line they almost sounded exactly the same to some extent and he was yeah he was absolutely brilliant swap I mean to swap from your own character to someone else's is hard enough, but the fact he's doing his character, an impersonation of Lister and then Holly, all like bam, 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 and they probably just because of, you know, how scenes were structured back in the day, they probably filmed that in one go, or, you know, like when they for any take they did it, so for him to swap constantly, that's a true actor's skill, you know, and to keep that up as well, so absolutely Chris Barry shone, and uh, the one that got me and it led to something else actually because before this when we see as we said you know holly's moving around on his little tv stand um throughout the whole first bit before the malfunctions i was like this is reminding me of something and i was like i can't quite pinpoint what and funnily enough it was one of the errors that rimmer experienced that sparked it when the others move off and the he's sort of like replays himself like the eh, 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 before he moves oh yeah i was like i get it i was like Holly's reminding me at this minute of Max Headroom. 
you know. From, oh, um, okay, yes. So f- for those who may be here a bit younger, Max Headroom was a big pop culture, I guess, phenomenon in the mid to late 80s. And he was just uh, this guy dressed up to be like an over-the-top American newsreader against a, I, I say CGI, a very primitive CGI background. And he'd do things like that. He'd His motions would be stuttered. He'd like replay himself. His voice would go up and down in pitch. Like, go and Google it if you haven't seen it. But... I don't know. Didn't just he, there's some. Didn't he gate crash like a broadcast or something at one point? Or... Well, it, it, he had his own TV show, um, and then famously, it's called the Max Headroom Incident. Again, give it a Google. Um, an American airing of Doctor Who of all shows on a American station was interrupted by a prankster who was wearing a Max Headroom outfit and a pseudo Max Headroom background. Um, and he spoke for about ninety seconds before oh, right. the station so that wasn't got control. The real Max Headroom. That was somebody... that wasn't the real Max. He had his own. Uh, I think it was on Channel Four. His own show, and really, all it was, he was like the bumper between music videos. Like, so he'd maybe make a comment, or they're all on YouTube. I think you can go and check them out. Those who are listening, but I don't know. And uh, the more I thought about it, Holly moving around, and it, he reminded me of sort of like anti Max Headroom because Max Headroom's very like active and wild. You know, he's always like either screaming or shouting or doing all that. Holly's sort of like the opposite, you know, because he's obviously very toned down and he's very, like, deadpan. And I think it was just that whole TV aesthetic and, like, the TV moving around, because I've seen that with Max Headroom as well. I think that it just drew the connection. And I, I, I do wonder, I mean, probably not, but I wonder if maybe it was in the very back of the creator's minds, That's that sort of style or the antithesis to it. But, yeah, I just got major Max Headroom vibes from this episode. Um, and then, because uh, Holly has been uh, acting kind of odd and well, and and just failing left, right, and centre at his job, yeah, we get pretty much. Queeg appear. Yeah, good old Queeg, <laughs> the backup computer. And I mean, what a surprise to hear that booming American accent. You know, I mean, uh, the guy who. Uh, look brief now but the guy who played charles charles Orgins, i think i'm saying that right or charles Orgins, the guy who plays queen i just want to say right off the bat fantastic performance like right from the word go it's like you sit up and listen do you know what i mean because i think he is again such the opposite to holly who's quite not that you don't listen to holly but you know holly's quite laid back whereas when you hear that big booming voice you sort of your ears prick up a bit i think and you go like whoa okay this is this is different and i think they I think that was the right tone to go for. I did worry when they mentioned about a backup computer that I thought, oh, is it just going to be someone else sort of doing a not-so-good impression of, you know, a Holly, like that sort of deadpan thing? So I'm kind of glad that they went the complete opposite with that because I think it really, really did work. Yeah. And Holly's demoted to uh, Night Watchman. (laughs) The Night Watchman, which uh, isn't that... involves him wearing a flat cap, as we learn later in this episode, (laughs) and a little scarf. But um, yeah, Queeg, right from the go, he's quite intimidating, isn't he? He sort of establishes a dictatorship aboard Red Dwarf and uh, he pretty much has control of Rimmer, as we learn in the next scene. Yeah, well, I quite like how Rimmer initially, he's he's quite on board with Queeg. Initially, he's yeah. like, yes, this is great. The, the scutters are doing their work. I, you know, it's never been run more efficiently. And, you know, and then it starts to go badly for him. <laughs> so yeah. he quickly changes Rimmer. his mind. Soon as it starts going wrong for him, he's like, no, I'm not having it. Although I must say the first thing we see with him is he gets woken up at 6 a.m. 
you know, and Rimmer's like, oh, we had this understanding. He leaves me till 10, usually with breakfast. But I'm certain in an ep- in somewhere in season one, there was a whole thing of that Rimmer liked to get up super duper early at like 4 a.m. And that annoyed Lister. Well, it, he I'm does, s- but I think it's mostly for show because he does... Because there's that, I remember there's one episode where he gets up and he's like, right, come on, Lister. And then he notices Lister's not there. And he's like, Mm. oh, okay, well, because he basically wants to do it to to show, to to, to try and make himself look better in front of Lister. But yeah, so I'm I'm guessing if he he wants to be able to go, oh, look, I'm going to get up at six o'clock to Lister, but then not actually get up at six. Yeah. Oh, maybe. I, I I don't know. It just it just reminded me of that moment where he does shoot up, and I thought, oh, hang on, have we just forgotten that? But you, I think you're right because it's sparking more things now. It could just be, could just be for show. But yeah, the crew's relationship with Queeg sours pretty quickly, um, including the cat. And I must say, I'm glad the cat did get involved in this in a way. You know, he was affected by Queeg because I think in past episodes, I think we said before. Either Cat doesn't get much to do, or the events of the episode only seem to really affect Lister and Rimmer, and Cat's just sort of in the background doing his own thing. So as soon as Queeg was like, you too, like, you're going to work, I was like, good, like, at least, the, like, you know what I mean? The consequences are literally yeah. affecting everyone. I don't know, I, I like that. I, I know, I just yeah, like that. I know exactly what you mean, because he, he has felt a lot of the time like the cat is just there just to say the occasional line about yeah. that, you know is that shows that he's got cat like qualities and yeah. in the background and and kind of it doesn't really get involved directly but yeah he and does here he still has those lines about yeah. getting like he has a and they're good ones too it like you know he has lines about cats do not work <laughs> when he's told he has to work cats do not work which you know yeah that is cats <laughs> cats yeah, don't no, they, they don't they don't want to do anything and they just want to sit around and nap and you know and it, and there's lines about naps as well yeah no i just think it's uh, as we've said before when we when we critique the cat character like this I, I don't we've not got anything against danny john jules the actor i think he does a fab job i just think at the moment anyway with what cat's being presented with as a character doesn't necessarily always give him much to work with as you say apart from like the occasional maybe funny line while standing in the background so to see him actually get involved and, and face the sort of consequences of what what Queeg's doing and all that I, I just it's a nice it's a nice shift you know it's nice to see him actually uh face up to it um and and we see sort of i guess a montage of that happening you know Lister and Kat are cleaning the floors and Rimmer seems to be <laughs> always running about even if he even if he's fainted or whatever um I must admit, though, some of the some of the scenes where they sort of discuss it and all that, I think some of the jokes they build up to for me feel a bit laboured or they didn't land with me. Particularly the one about um, the thing they were going on about the shoes. Do you know what I mean? The shoes have souls joke. Oh yes, I was going to mention that too because it, it yeah. yeah that felt very laboured. It was yeah. It was kind of like from the very beginning. It was like okay, he's he's leading you on here. There's like. Okay, now get it over and done with. Get it over and done with. And then it was. Then there was the punchline, and it was. I mean, in fairness to Craig Charles, he does. He does deliver it very well, mm. but it's just it. It's just a very laboured joke for a not very good punchline, anyway. Yeah, the whole shoes. I mean, I think you've. 
I'd have to remember. I think even in the studio audience, when he does the shoe, have souls. Like, they laugh, but I think you can hear one or two groans in there. You know, it is that sort of, like, Christmas cracker, oh, shoes have yeah. souls. It's like, oh, And I think yeah. it's imp- I think it's good that Craig Charles plays it like he knows it's a terrible dad joke. Yeah. He's like, yeah. he's like, he can tell in his inflection that he's doing it like, oh, yeah, and here's the cheesy punchline. And he knows it, and the character knows it's cheesy and terrible. So there is yeah. that, but yeah, it does. It, uh, uh, that's the one major negative I put down as well. I was just like that joke. Yeah, nah, nah. I think what I, like I think is because as well, it's not just like a small joke in a scene. I think if I remember, it is literally the whole scene. Like it builds to this joke before we move somewhere else, and it's sort of like, I guess. Yeah. Well, I sort of thought, did we? It need starts though with a scene? with a Peterson reference, which I liked because he's yes. he references his old friend Peterson, who we've met several yeah. times in flashbacks and things. Played, yeah. of course, by uh, uh, I can never <laughs> remember the actor's name, but by, uh, the thingy Weasley got, from Harry Potter. Mark, Mark Williams, I think. Mark it is. Williams, yes, yeah. of course. Wonderful Mark, yeah. No, I hope I hope he comes back again. It'd be great to see him. But um, yes, yeah, nice little callbacks and um, um, just oh, another thing that didn't quite land for me when Lister and Cat are scrubbing the floor, and we see Holly appear on his night uh, night watch with flat cap and scarf and all because you know it's night time he's gonna he's gonna get cold apparently um whilst it was a nice scene again i just think some of the jokes again were a bit too labored um like the one i think there that stood out for me was the you know oh go on uh, like ask me anything uh like what's the nearest planet to the sun that whole thing i thought was a bit too labored like mm. i i got the joke but i i just didn't find it it just went a bit too long, I think, for me. Or you could have maybe swapped it out with a quicker joke. I think that was the main detriment I found in this episode overall. I think there were just some of the comedy in this one was just a bit too drawn out. Or, as you said, didn't necessarily have the best punchline to begin with, I think. Yeah. And then uh, I suppose also with that scene uh, that you just mentioned, it, it's fine because it, something we discover later on makes it make sense. But when, when Holly actually holds up the book like he's looking mm. for the for the answer um and it's like well hold on he's a computer <laughs> he, yeah. would, he wouldn't hold up a physical book but yeah but I think, yeah I, that but kind I, of I, makes I, sense later on that because he it, he was doing it deliberately let's just say yeah i don't know yeah, why i'm talking about it like it's a spoiler i mean i'm presuming everybody's watched the episode that's listening <laughs> to this podcast <laughs> they yeah. know what's it's, coming <laughs> Yeah, if you haven't, there's going to be major spoilers imminently, and I highly advise you go and watch this episode, because um, it all builds to the uh, sort of big climactic scene back in the control room where uh, Holly challenges Queeg to a game of his choice. The victor gets command of Red Dwarf, the loser gets erased permanently from the computer bank. So for the crew and Holly, it's quite, you know, it's presented as quite high stakes, and I must admit, I'd... Maybe they did it one one or two times a bit much, but I did enjoy the fact, you know, Holly trying to suggest any other game and Queeg just goes, chess, chess. <laughs> I, I liked it. Again, I think maybe they did it one too many times, but the 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 idea of the joke I did quite find quite funny at first. Yeah. And then yeah. you get in the, the actual chess game itself was quite tense, I thought. I thought they, yeah, they kind yeah. of presented that really well in a kind of, it was tense, but it was also humorous because you had holly you know it is with his work the way he was referring to all the pieces like bish mm. horsey the prawns yeah. uh yeah. <laughs> and things like that horsey takes king prawn 
pawn to queen five. Horsey to bish three. Bishop pawn to queen three. Takes pawn. Brawn to king four. Horsey to bish three. Brawn takes horsey. Bishop pawn takes pawn. Bish takes prawn. Bishop to knight five. Double check and mate, sucker. Oh, yeah, I didn't see that. Yeah. No, just, and I must admit, I was quite surprised when, you know, it gets further and further because, uh, again, spoilers are coming, so go and watch it now if you haven't. But um, Holly actually loses the game. And I must admit, I was quite surprised. I guess I just thought because, you know, this is, uh, it's hard, you know, it's a sitcom and it's that sitcom thing of, you know, 95% of the time the, the goodies or the ones you like always come out on top. I was half expecting Holly to use that sort of weirdness with his words to win somehow, you know, like maybe confuse yeah. Queeg to like give up or j- just something like that. So I was actually quite surprised. I wasn't expecting Holly to lose. And um, it then leads to a scene where, you know, they Holly says goodbye to the crew. And I must admit, as it was going on, I found it surprisingly emotional because, you know, this for a first timer like me, I know some of you have watched it, you're probably laughing and we'll get to that. But um, yeah, for a first timer like me, you know, he's been part of the crew from episode one. And I think where it was sort of emotional is it's that thing of, you know, he's, he is a main character, but he also isn't like, I, I you know, he's, I see the, the main crew, it's Lister and Rimmer and, uh, and Cat mainly, you know, that's the three that get involved. Holly's, Holly's always there, but he's not always active in the situation. But I think it made you emotional because it's like, oh, you know, you, you do. He has always been there, and now he's supposedly not going to be there. Um, and the episode actually does a good build at making you think there's not going to be a reason otherwise. You know, you might think maybe Norman Lovett decided to pack it in back in the day. Do you know what I mean? There's there's no there's no sort of indication that they're not going to follow through with this. I think from the, yeah. So at that point, did you, as someone who hadn't seen it before, did you? assume because you said you at the chess game you were thinking that they were going to you know he was going to kind of pull a thing out of his hat and win by his slightly quirky nature at this point once he'd lost the chess game what did you think was going to happen did you think that he actually at this point did you think he was leaving i yeah legitimately because again it's it's that you know sitcom trope that in times of great stakes the good character will always pull something out of the bag to like seize the day and deliver a joke at the end so i think the fact that he lost to begin with i was like okay that's that surprised me and then just with how with how that that scene is played afterwards you know with the with the crew for the most part yeah like holly delivers a few funny gags about them but you know what i mean for the most part it's not played for laughs, laughs you know it's, yeah it's like i hope to, to the cat i hope one day in the not too distant future you fulfil your heart's desire and get your end away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, like, and they were funny, but do you know what I mean? Like, it, it just, it was played for, like, this character is leaving. From yeah, and there was purposes. some very, you know, sombre music in the background, yeah. and, you know. And he's he's trying to sing his way out, but gets cut off, and you just, I liked how they didn't cut away when he faded. It just held on the screen that said, erase complete. You know, it's quite a, it's quite a stark image um and yeah you know i i I just thought you know that was holly's time i thought that was you know sitcoms characters change things come and go i was like well that's that's that then and do you want before before we go further did you want to say anything about the sort of aftermath of the lost scene or are you 
Oh. No, I mean, the thing is, I knew what was coming. So, yes. obviously, it, this is where this is interesting, because you didn't know what was coming next. So, yeah. you didn't you you felt very different watching it in terms of the emotional aspect of it than i did because i i knew what was coming next so yeah. i mostly focused it on the the comedy of that and the lines that holly had yeah and because th- then of course he <laughs> comes back on he does uh starts uh, uh, you know being his usual brash you know mm. insulting self and then suddenly he's got holly's voice <laughs> Yes. <laughs> There's only one thing I want to say to you. What? What's happening, dudes? <laughs> we are talking Jape of the Decade. <laughs> we are talking April, May, June, July and August full. <laughs> yes, that's right. I am Queek. Because uh, it was Holly all along. <laughs> Hey, I feel we need a song now. Like I don't know if you've watched One Division, but there's yes, the Agatha all the along Agatha song. All along. Yeah, it was yeah. Harley all along. <laughs> but my and I wrote this in my notes. My gut reaction was what? Like it was all a prank? Question mark exclamation mark. And I think for like the first thirty seconds, I was a bit like, no, come on. I was like, you've you've done all this. You know, you've done all this setup. Queeg as a character is I thought was interesting as like an antithesis to Holly. You had the stakes of the chess thing. I've been surprised that he lost. And so I think for the first 30 seconds I was a bit like, no, not happy with this. You know, it's a it's a cop-out ending. It's the whole not it was all a dream, but like you say, it was oh, it was me all along. It was a in in modern YouTube terms, it was, oh, it's just a prank, bro. You know, it was that sort of vibe. And I was like, no, don't like that. But as it played on to see how much holly enjoys it you know again he's not like jumping off the walls going i tricked you it's still that same deadpan but you can see in like you know his smile and his smirk and his quips that he's loving every minute of it i think that won me back over because i'm like of course holly would do something like this do you know what i mean just to pull the wool over their eyes a bit so by the time the credits rolled i was smiling all that sort of initial like what had faded away i think it was just the surprise of it you know and i think it's it's because it it, he has a good reason for doing it as well he you know they and it ties into what i think are probably the themes of the the episode really which are like loyalty and and stuff that gets touched on at various points in the episode Uh, he felt that they were taking him for granted that they, you know, had a very low opinion of him and his abilities and stuff. And so he thought, right, I'm going to teach them a lesson. And yeah, and he did. And so it kind of it makes sense because they do sort of deride him. And, you know, as we've seen, he does make a lot of mistakes, but he does, yeah. clearly he is capable because as Queeg, he was getting everything, you know, spot on. So he can do it. Mm. It's just his personality that is... Um, causing that but the the themes of loyalty and stuff there was a there was a bit earlier on where Rimmel was discussing it and it's when they decided that oh no Queeg isn't bad but they hadn't jumped it you know back when Queeg first turned up nobody had really defended Holly yeah yeah and as Rimmer says we thought we were going to get something better and I think it's quite a you know message that you know you don't you don't just ditch your friends because you know Absolutely. something better might come along yeah 
No, it does spark good. And I think that theme ties into, you know, that, that as I say, that moment for me where you think Holly is gone, where he says, you know, just sort of, you know, I wasn't perfect, but we, you know, we had a giggle, we had a laugh. It's, you know, it's the, you could argue it's the typical farewell speech. But I mean, again, when, when like me, when I thought he was going and you see him fade and you see a race complete, you know, it, it is that sort of moment like, oh, you know, oh God, it's that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. You know, and I think that you reflect that in the crew for those brief seconds before Holly reveals the true nature of it all. But yeah, I think you're right. The themings are quite strong and they're not necessarily shoved in your face at every every turn, but they, I just think they play out quite well. Like I said, the emotion I felt in that scene thinking Holly was gone was there, you know, from how the episode set itself up and from how this character had been built up and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I think the themes worked to their absolute strength in this as i said for about 30 seconds i was like no no don't like this not having this it's right but again like just seeing how much joy like holly took out of doing it and i like, say tying back to the themes as i said by the end i was like yeah th- i was like this is it's fine and i'm sure if i rewatched it now as you now with your perspective like the hindsight of knowing i think i'd be all right with it as well um but yeah i think it's one of those episodes of tv that is it's quite special watching it for the first time in a way because you, i think you it must be unique... because i can't remember yeah. the first time i saw it so i can't remember what i thought of it the first time i saw it i've always yeah. just kind of re- now i only remember knowing what happens and therefore i don't quite get the same thing but it is still an enjoyable episode and there's still a lot in it that even knowing what's coming it's still it's still enjoyable and it's still good yeah it was one moment I can compare it to, maybe not on the same scale, but it's the one that's coming to mind. Uh, flipping to those of you who know Doctor Who, it's like the Stolen Earth cliffhanger with David Tennant. You know, um, the Doctor finally reunites with Rose. It's a moment we've all been waiting for. And then he gets shot down by a Dalek and starts regenerating. And then, you you know, back then, that first time, we all had to wait a whole week to find out. We didn't, well, you know, you could speculate, but we didn't know what was going to happen. Whereas now, like you say, you there's still plenty of stuff in the Stolen Earth and Journey's End to enjoy, but you can never recapture that same, oh my God, what is going to happen? Because we know what happens. Um, I think it's that very special first time thing you get with watching TV with things like this. And yes, you could say, oh, you know, Red Dwarf, this sort of prank thing, it's not on the same scale. But I think it is the, it is the same sort of thing. Like, you know, for me, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I, I had an idea, and it got subverted. So I, I'd say that's good TV, if you ask me. So good job, Red Dwarf. But um, in this episode then, Phil, what was your funniest moment? It, I think it's the reveal at the end. That, yeah? There's just that moment where his vo- Holly's voice comes out of Quig's mouth. Yeah. And it's like, ah, <laughs> that, that's good. <laughs> Because although I, I knew what was coming, I, I couldn't yeah. necessarily remember how it how it transpired. And so okay. it was, there was still that kind of like, oh, yes, brilliant. Uh, and yeah, so that moment is it was probably the, the funniest bit, I think, for the me. What about choice. yourself? My, well, it, it wasn't that one because I spent the first 30 seconds going, what? No, no. <laughs> But um, the funniest one for me, we've already mentioned it, but it's got it's Chris Barry's impersonations. They just I was howling throughout that whole scene. And I forgot as well. The one that got me the most that we didn't mention is the brief one he does of the cat. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's so but it's just like, Wah! it's just he does it so perfectly. And it just uh, that 
it got me completely. They are, so. yeah, they're really good. Um, I, yeah. I'd say my favourite, in terms of the best impression he did, I think it was of, of Holly and of just like Norman Lovett's dead, point, dead, dead, dead tone delivery as well. He mimicked it perfectly. Yeah. yeah, I'd actually go as far to say, off the top of my head, that's probably one of my funniest scenes of the whole show so far, that in, impression scene. I just think, I don't, I can't think of another scene off the top of my head that's made me laugh as much as I did watching it. So that's definitely my, at this point, my favorite, let's say my favorite funniest moment of the show. So well, well done, episode Queeg. You've, you've done good. Um, but on this episode as well, one thing we like to do on this podcast is say who our favorite character was in this uh, story. So, Phil, who was your favorite character in this story? I think it's going to have to be Holly again. I've, I've yeah. chosen Holly a couple of times now because... Uh, but because uh, Chris, yeah, Chris uh, Rimmer is brilliant in that scene, and he has a couple of other nice moments. It was a close one between him and Rimmer, I think, for mm. me. Uh, but it, this is Holly's episode, and oh, absolutely, it's it's definitely like he doesn't get much chance to shine. He mm. usually pops in, and like he's usually great in every time every time he does pop in, but he just pops in occasionally, does the occasional thing, and pops out again. But it's very much a side character but here the mm. focus was like really on him so yeah, yeah. I, I think holly definitely no that's it's a solid choice always a good reason for picking holly because norman lover always does a pretty bang up job um for me honestly i think i've got to give it to charles Orgins or organs as queeg just because i get like i think guest characters almost in this show have a have even more pressure to leave a good impression because obviously we're so used to the main cast and how brilliant they are. So when a new person comes in, it's like, right, well, you better be, you know, you better be as good as them. Otherwise you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. But I just think the way Charles does it again, he's, it's the perfect antithesis to what Holly is, but still with sort of a, it's still sort of a deadpan, but in a completely different manner. And I think he makes it work brilliantly his whole demeanor and even though he's meant to be like this stern sort of dictator sergeant major he still made me laugh a lot with the things he said and the things he got the crew to do so um whilst as i said whilst rimmer's impressions did make me laugh the most i think my favorite character the one who brought a smile no matter what he was doing was probably queeg so i'll give it to the the star of the episode so to speak even if it yes. was but i mean by extension it's holly anyway so well, we've both I, technically gone for holly we've so. both gone for holly yeah it was it was holly all along so um yeah Absolutely. we have both gone for holly that's a good choice that's a good choice and the one of the one of the other things we do on this show to round off this episode is how many how many scutters would you rate it out of 10 phil i would i would probably give it um i'm going Give it eight, eight scutters. And mm-hmm. I point out, we are now pronouncing scutters correctly. We <laughs> have so many comments in the first few episodes of this uh, of this podcast saying, uh, you know, they're not called scuttle bugs and they're not called <laughs> scuttlers. Yeah. Yeah. OK, we got it eventually. Guys. Yeah, all right. All right, guys. <laughs> come on. Come on. <laughs> yeah, scutter. Eight, eight. That's a solid choice. What What would you say? What brought it down by those last two for you? Uh, some of like it, some of the jokes being laboured and going on a little bit too long, uh, I think, were the main things that held it back, I think. Yeah, that's fair. 
I think what I'd give it, I was toying between two, but I think I'll give it a nine, actually, Ooh. which I can't remember if that's my highest rating so far. It might be. I think it might be. I was toying between 8.5 and 9 because my point, well, my detractions are similar to yours in the way that I think, you know, as we've said, some of the comedy felt a bit laboured. But on the whole, as I've as I've said, for me as a first time viewer, this episode worked on many levels for me. The introduction of Queeg as a completely different side character, Chris Barry being hilarious, uh, some genuine emotion for me towards the end. And whilst I like my comedy, I do like it. I do like a dash of drama as well. So... Yeah, this is. I think this is the episode that maybe has made me feel the most, if that makes sense, both in comedy and with drama. And I, I like. It sounds weird, but when I watch TV, I like. I like to feel things um, a lot of the time. So, yeah, I just think this is one of the best episodes we've seen so far. To be honest, I'd be curious as if we ever did this in the future. You know, and like looked back. Part of me sadly thinks I might not give it a nine, partly because of I know what's like you say. I know what's coming. But yeah. as it stands, first time viewing, I'll give it a nine out of ten. Uh, that's Absolutely. solid. Nice. I think that is your yeah, highest yeah. score. I was I was actually tempted to give it an eight point five. I was going between like and like you, you were going between eight point five and nine. I was going between eight and eight point five. And yeah, just the yeah. the slightly labour jokes and also some of the effects that we talked about earlier, like the the rocking and stuff. Although there was one other effect that I completely forgot to mention is when uh, Lister gets electrocuted by putting the wrong wires together. Yes, that also yes. looked a bit uh, a bit ropey. But uh, yeah. the timing of him going sort of putting them together and yeah. and just sort of shaking like he was being electrocuted didn't quite didn't <laughs> quite work. But but no, yeah. other than those really good episode very much enjoyed yeah. it definitely one of the standouts and i mean it's it's weird in a way because uh, that was episode five and on next week's everybody's dead day we'll be looking at episode six which is actually the last episode of uh series two if i'm correct yes yes the first can you obviously without revealing much yet can you remember much about the series two finale uh, a little bit yeah because yeah. it's i remember i remember bits it's it's the parallel universe one Oh, okay. I like a parallel universe. I love a parallel universe too. And there's some good, I think there's some good stuff in it. I like, it's it's been so long since I've seen it. Might even be like 10 years actually. But it's, yeah, I think there's some good stuff that will also pay off some other stuff. I'm not going to say more. Pay off some other stuff from previous episodes. Oh, right. So we've definitely got to be keeping our eyes open for that one. So, I mean, if a parallel universe doesn't intrigue you enough, you should definitely... Um, tune in to Everybody's Dead Dave next week for that. Uh, but that was our summary of episode five of series two, titled Queeg. We hope you enjoyed it. And um, if, you know, as I said, if you're new, go back and check out our previous episodes as well. We've covered all of series one and now nearly all of series two. All episodes you can find either on YouTube, on Phil's channel, and if you do, go and subscribe to his channel as well. And let us know your thoughts in the comments. Your feedback is generally appreciated and very helpful. And we're also on Spotify. Just search Everybody's Dead Dave and you'll be able to listen to our our wonderful voices for as long as you like over on there. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all of the favourite podcasts. Everything. You can't escape. We we are everywhere. (laughs) So So many that I've not even heard of. Oh, yeah, so many. I mean, but, you know, you look at the analytics and it's like, oh, 3% use this obscure thing you've never heard of. It's like, okay, well, I guess that's... I guess that's where it's going. But give a, give us a listen on all of those and give us a follow or subscribe or whatever it is 
on those. And uh, aside from all that, Phil, where can where can people find you if they want to keep in touch or keep up to date? Uh, you can find me on my Twitter account, which is currently I-U-D-E-X underscore Phil, uh, one L in Phil. And yeah. also, obviously, on my YouTube channel, which you may well be watching this on, which is just my mm-hmm. name, Philip Hawkins. Yeah. One L. And click subscribe if you haven't already. And if you want to keep up to date with myself, I'm also on Twitter at Adam Martin Actor, where I tweet my general ramblings of the day. Um, I'm also on YouTube. Just type in Adam Martin, Martin with the Y. I should pop up and I make uh, stuff in a way similar to Philip, a lot of pop culture stuff, Doctor Who and other things I'm interested in too. Just check it out. I'm sure there'll be something for you there. And uh, if you like what you see, subscribe too. And um, yes, that has been this episode of Everybody's Dead, Dave. And I'm sure we will see you next time for Series 2, Episode 6. But until then, ta for now. Bye-bye.